Here comes Schofield. Oh! Oh! Nastiness. Wait a second. Driving left, dunking right over Love. All right. You can do it. Well, I, I do like length. That's what she said. He's got everything going early on. Okay. Schofield, the theft. And look at the Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, cold, cold weather in the United States of America time, warm basketball in the state of Tennessee time. Let's uh, let's get all warm in a bathtub full of our basketball jazz time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Grant Ramey coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a Thursday afternoon. Probably going to drop this to you on a Thursday night. We're recording this here at the studio, which is located about two point something miles, specifically from the University of Tennessee campus, where we will be over there discussing basketball and basketball-related things with Vols coach Rick Barnes. Maybe a player, probably not, but maybe a player. But definitely discussing things with Coach Rick Barnes. And Grant, there is plenty, plenty to discuss right now because uh, Tennessee is still undefeated in SEC play, still ranked number one nationally, and still just kind of rolling through things. Actually playing better basketball this week than it did last week. Probably the best basketball it's played uh, the South Carolina game since... Missouri, probably, three weeks ago, something like that. Probably, yeah. And honestly, candidly, I kind of had that one penciled in as a really tough game. Uh, obviously, South Carolina's not the class of the league, not a very good basketball team. If you lose at home by 20 to Wofford, like they did in November, but that said, it's a tough place to play. It seemed like they had kind of found their footing a little bit and were kind of turning into that Frank Martin team that's tough and physical and not fun to play. And Tennessee just goes in there and... Kind of punches them in the mouth. Quiets the arena. Another capacity crowd they're playing in front of. Everybody wants to beat the number one team, and uh, Tennessee handles its business. That was that was forty minutes of pretty solid basketball. Yeah, we we talked about it going, <coughs> actually driving over to North Carolina or South Carolina, North Carolina, then to South Carolina, uh, the day before the game and then the day of the game, and we talked about it walking into the arena. Talked about it before the game. I know we sat there saying that we both thought it was going to be a tough game. Uh, I don't know if either one of us predicted Tennessee to lose the game, but I think we both thought it would be a tough game, and there were reasons to believe that because South Carolina had done what you know Ole Miss did there for a couple years under Andy Kennedy, which was look really bad in the non-conference schedule um, and then go out there and, and start doing what I call the uh, the double tap on the league mm-hmm. by the double tap on the league RPI by not being very good out of conference and then going into league play and then just kind of – just kind of steamrolling people. But but uh, South Carolina did play a tough schedule in non-conference. They did play a couple of – I think Tennessee was the third top three team. Michigan and Virginia they played. Yeah, yeah so they've, they've played people. But, you know, that, that team had started to figure some things out. That team has one legit star in Chris Silva, who is just an unbelievable basketball player. 
uh, at the college level anyway. I think he'll be a solid pro, but he's a really, really dynamite college player and a guy who Rick Barnes would love to coach because he plays the game the right way. He plays hard. He's expanded his game every year. Uh, he's really humble, hardworking, and plays his tail off defensively. And it so. looks like he was going to go for 50, and they were still going to lose by 10. Yeah, and that, if you're Tennessee, that's the game you really don't want Kyle Alexander to be in foul trouble, and he again, for a second game in a row, got in foul trouble. Uh, but we both thought that would be a, a tough game. And, and, you know, for about, I don't know, what do you call it, 27 minutes, it looked like it might be a tough game because – uh, Tennessee was hitting shots, playing well, but South Carolina was hitting shots and playing well too. And I don't think Tennessee was playing that poor defensively. Be interested to see what Rick Barnes says about it when he talks more about that game. But I didn't think Tennessee's defense necessarily was was terrible. I didn't think it was great. Um, but South Carolina made some tough shots, some really tough shots. South Carolina made some shots that if you say, okay, we'll let you take that shot. Uh, and they went down. And uh, that arena, you know, uh, credit Tennessee fans. There were uh, several hundred of them in yeah, there. That good was, amount of orange. That was there. a good amount of orange in there. I don't think probably probably not a thousand, but probably several hundred of them. It's a good tr- a good crowd when Tennessee scores, and you can hear a little muffled yep. something. Yep, and uh, some of those. It's great to be a Tennessee ball chance and all that stuff toward the end of the game. But but really, for most of the game, we were hearing the uh, a lot of the sandstorm, a lot of the. Uh, Three, 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 three. That the they do. Most annoying PA. It is bad. It is bad over there. But uh, credit to the Gamecocks. They came out and they played well and they traded blows with Tennessee for a while. And with no Jordan Bowden playing, which is huge, and we'll get to that in a second. With Kyle Alexander uh, in foul trouble for a second consecutive game, uh, that that might be Tennessee's best perimeter defender and Tennessee's best post defender out of. The game Well, definitely Tennessee's best post defender and maybe Tennessee's best perimeter defender or wing defender uh, taken out of the lineup at the same time. And uh, then Lamonte Turner picks up his third foul in the first half because they can't get him out before, the, before right. he picks up the Trying third one. Trying to get one. him out before yeah. he picked up the third Just one. couldn't quite get the sub thing worked out in time because Rick Barnes hates that. Coaches can't call timeout rule. And then all of that's going on. Tennessee still finds a way to build up a you know double-digit nine-point lead somewhere around there. Carolina starts reeling it back a little bit in the second half. You knew there was at least one more run in the Gamecocks. You knew they had at least one more run in them. And they came out there uh, for the first seven minutes or so of the second half and, and had an, uh, some mini spurts here and there and got the game within two, I believe, um, after, uh, they did. after uh, Admiral Schofield kind of closed out on a three-pointer, got called for a foul. Um, really smart play by the by the Carolina guard, and then that, that it's within two. The crowd's really getting into it. They're kind of sensing, oh, victory over number one team can rush the floor, get on Sports Center, not the number one spot on Sports Center because it's uh, Super Bowl week, but maybe the second or third spot on Sports Center and a, a big deal and kind of a game that you look at it and you go, hey, South Carolina, maybe you play that tough schedule, you don't win a lot, but then you do really well in league play and you beat Tennessee. Maybe you could sneak into the tournament, you know, and, and you just sense all these things happening. And then Tennessee d- did what ruthless number one teams have done for years, and that is just put the foot down, hit a couple of big three-pointers in a row. Admiral Schofield, who hadn't hit a three-pointer since I think Jimmy Carter was president, stepped up and just drilled one right between the eyeballs of a Carolina defender. And all of a sudden, boom, it's a 10-point game. Uh, timeout Carolina doesn't really matter at that point. Silva's out of gas. The Gamecocks are out of gas, and Tennessee just kind of keeps on pounding you. And to go into that building, uh, which is a tough place to play, uh, I call Columbia kind of uh, kind of lame Knoxville, and I call because uh, it's it's kind of like Knoxville, but just just not as nice. And, it, and then there's uh, the arena there, which is kind of like you know 
Thompson Bowling Light. It's not yeah. it's not the same, but it's kind of it's kind of big and it's kind of nice. One of the bigger arenas. Yeah, but 18, it, it, it's not quite the Tommy Bowl, but it's a it's a nice place place to watch a college basketball game and uh, it was loud and making noise and and but just to go there and just ruthlessly put that team away like that. That's just I wrote a column after the game, and I mean this. I, I think when a team starts winning this much, it's so easy to start thinking about the finish line. It's so easy to start thinking about, oh, my gosh, back-to-back SEC titles, uh, go to the Final Four for the first time in school history, maybe even win a national championship. And you get caught in looking at the finish line, and that's the most important thing. So I'm not trying to tell you it's not because it is. It, it, you are what your record says you are at the end of the day. But I wrote a column subtly suggesting – that I hope people aren't just focusing at the finish line right now and and not appreciating what this team is doing right now because it just tied a program record for the most number of consecutive wins. It's setting records left and right. Uh, It's taking the best punches from everyone it plays, and it's sitting there with one loss through 20 games. Uh, It's it's 7-0 in SEC play. I mean, the schedule is going to get tougher in league play down the, the final few weeks of the season. So let's call that what it is. But I hope people aren't just focusing on the finish line right now because what this team is doing and the way that it's doing it, the way this thing was built, you know, it's just – it's what we all want college basketball to be, you know. I don't blame the coaches in the one-and-done era. I don't for, for having success. They're playing by the same rules as everybody else, and they're just doing it better. But this feels like – this feels like old school, what Tennessee is doing. They're taking a bunch of guys who you know. Program players. Three-year players, four-year players, mm-hmm. guys that you look at and, and, and Tennessee fans know, other SEC fans know, people around college basketball know. They've watched these guys take their lumps. They've watched them grow. You know, this is like, as a fan, I imagine if you're a Tennessee fan right now, this is the closest that a team will get to feeling like your own children out there because you've watched them grow up. Right. You've seen them play so many games. You're invested a yeah. little bit more. Yeah, you, you've put so much into this team, your heart, your soul, all these other things, watching these guys take their lumps and you throwing your remote control across the, across the room in frustration at them and smacking your seat in Thompson Bowling just saying, why can't you finish these close games? You're so close. And then they do that. And then they go and win an SEC title. And now they're you know arguably the best team in college basketball. And this is fun. None of these guys, none of these guys had a single offer from any of the top programs in the country. None of them did. And here they are. And it's, I, I, think, it's, I think it's a cool thing. And, and I hope that we'll talk about the future. We'll talk about all these other things going forward. But I just, I hope people are enjoying this. And I think, Grant, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think most of them are. I think most of them are sensing this for being as fun as it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be hard not to uh, if you're a Tennessee basketball fan because of all the stuff uh, you mentioned. And this isn't the toughest uh, run on the schedule by any means. Um, there's beatable teams, and Tennessee's beating those teams. There have been nervous moments. Yes. Uh, a pretty miraculous escape at Vanderbilt, down six with 90 seconds left and, and find a way to – the kind of thing that, dare I say, happens during championship seasons. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty defining moment, and that was a pretty bad night at the office leading up to that moment, and they still found a way to escape. Uh, call it what it is. Alabama is not their best moment. They found a way to win. Arkansas wasn't their best moment in the second half. They were still cruising in that game. 
uh, enjoy it while it lasts. Sure, you're going to enjoy it because it's lasted for so long. We're talking 60-plus days at this point since Tennessee lost. November 23rd. We're sitting here on, on January 31st. Uh, and you have more time to enjoy it. I mean, you look at the schedule coming up at Texas A&M. That's a bad basketball team. It's not a tough place to play. It's going to be 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. Maybe they'll be a little bit more amped than usual with the number one team in town as you know, as, as, as that happens. You come home and get Missouri and Florida. That's two teams you've already beat on the road. Uh, and then after that, you get South Carolina. That's another team you get on the road. Uh, you already beat on the road. Uh, enjoy it because the real- reality check's coming February 16th at Rupp Arena. Uh, you're going to find out. If, if you don't know what this Tennessee team is by now, uh, if you want to see what real adversity looks like late in the college basketball season, it's at Rupp Arena on February 16th. Got to go to LSU on February 23rd. Got to go to Ole Miss. I mean, we've talked about these games, this stretch at the end of the season. Uh, you're going to be tested. You're going to know what you are by the time uh, the SEC tournament gets here because of this run you're going through uh, to end the season. But, yeah, enjoy it while it lasts because, I mean, you're, you could talk about it's not hard to imagine Tennessee takes a 19-game winning streak to Rupp Arena uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, and, and again, I, I think it's worth mentioning here that, that college basketball teams almost always lose a few games. So when that happens – uh, I always wonder because Tennessee basketball fans are really good fans, uh, much better than any than, than most quote football school fan bases are for basketball. But there there are there is still that that segment of people who kind of have that football mindset during basketball and think any loss is some big deal, and uh, it's not really. Um, even Calipari's best Kentucky teams, uh, most of them have lost. Almost all of them have lost a couple here and there. It does happen. It's going to happen. Uh, it, it's pretty impossible to be the number one team for several months without losing a game. It, it's, you know, Tennessee could even lose the number one spot and then go back into it. I mean, it, it's that's what conference season is. Conference play is going against a bunch of guys who know you, a bunch of coaches who know you. They know your strengths and weaknesses, and they have good scholarship players too. And they're going to have nights where they hit three-pointers. They're going to have nights where their building is rocking against the number one team in the country. Tennessee is going to slip up. It, it's going to happen. But the bottom line is this team has positioned itself incredibly well to get a great seed in March, to have a chance to do special things here. And, and I hope um, – I just I really hope because I know that that I I caught myself as a um, as a Cubs fan when they won that first World Series. You immediately start. There's part of you that starts thinking, "Oh man, this could be like a dynasty that starts like several in a row, and and maybe it'll win a couple more. Who knows?" But I had to keep reminding myself, "No, you idiot! The Cubs just won the World Series. Enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Don't don't think about spring training. Don't just think about." you know, sitting here enjoying this beer and talking about the Cubs winning the freaking World Series. And and I hope that people, and I, and I genuinely believe this, I, I think that most of them will, but I hope people sit around and enjoy this team doing what it's doing because it's a special group of kids, it's a special team, it was put together the right way, and it's been really enjoyable to watch them go through that. So we'll see where all that goes. But we do need to talk about a couple other things. Uh, first off, Jordan Bowden did not play in that game against South Carolina, which makes it even more impressive that Tennessee was able to just roll through them like they had because uh, Jordan Bowden had been playing really good basketball recently, playing some of the best basketball of his career, Basically, I, would, I would argue. since SEC play started. Yeah, just he's been a rock for them. And, and I think that when you when you take him out of the equation, it changes some things, but when you get Bone and Turner playing that well, it, it, it doesn't really matter. But 
it, it is important. And what it was, as far as I can tell, it was a knee that sometime not during um, not during pregame warmups, but during shoot around. Because mm-hmm. what they do uh, on the day of road games, especially, they have a morning shoot around in the gym. Then they go get off their feet, watch some film, relax, take their mind off of it for a few hours, then come back to the gym and uh, or then have like a dinner, then go to the gym, have pregame shoot around, then play the game. And sometime during the, the shoot around, we don't know when, apparently, he just hurt his knee. And even we asked Jordan Bone after the game, when did Bowden say when he did it? And he said he, he said that Bowden didn't know when he did it. He just noticed his knee was starting to get sore. And we saw him dancing in pregame warmups. I mean, he looked like he, he didn't look like he had ripped anything or anything like that. Um, but he was he was not dunking, which for him in the layup line is weird because normally he's one of the layup line all stars. And uh, he was just kind of taking three pointers. Yeah. And yeah, and and Grant, have you heard any, heard anything else? What I mean, I know we're going to talk to Rick here in just a couple hours. I mean, it doesn't sound serious, um, but you never know. You don't know until you know. Um, you know, Rick will say what he says, and if it happens, it happens. He didn't sound very concerned. Uh, what was that Tuesday night at South Carolina? He said. Uh, he expects him to be ready at A&M. He said, uh, I think for certain or something like that, or didn't really have any doubts that he'd be ready. Like I assure you or something like that. Yeah, he's, I think he said, I'm certain of that. So we'll see if it happens. Um, they can live without Jordan Bowden Saturday night at Texas A&M. Uh, you don't want to live without him for too long, but if there's a stretch in the schedule where you can live without him, it's probably A&M on the road and then coming back home for three games, and, and you can kind of slow play it if you need to. I wouldn't be stunned uh, if he played or if he didn't play. I think you're going to – Take your time with it and see what happens. Uh, there's no need to rush him back at this point. Uh, but if it's nothing serious, then get him back out there and, and see what happens. And, and j- just again, I know I just said this a second ago, but he was dancing around uh, in pregame warm-ups doing the, the, the dance and stuff that he is wont to do. He looked like himself. I mean, until the, until the layup line started when everybody likes to dunk and have a good time, he looked like himself. Uh, and then he started pulling up for threes, which yeah. I should have thought at the time when I saw it. I did kind of notice it, but I didn't connect it to anything physically. Well, sometimes that means a guy shot it like crap in pregame war and pregame shoot right. around, and he wants to get his stroke back before the game starts. And I've he, seen Admiral and do he, that. he tweaked his knee two summers ago in the Rocky Top League, uh, the way he landed on a dunk. And last off season, last summer, he got it cleaned up after the season. Yep. Uh, because he, I guess he, I don't know if it was a scope or, or what the you know, how far the surgery went, but he he was out for a little while and then he had to be cleared for contact in the middle of the season. So it's something he's dealt with before. I don't know if it's the same knee. I don't know uh, left or right which one he hurt the last time and which one's hurt this time, but uh, it doesn't sound too serious. And then you, you don't assume it's serious until you see reason to assume it. Then uh, before we start talking about some more positive things, we also need to discuss What's been going on with Kyle Alexander? It's usually weird. He's normally a guy who we. I, I remember joking early in his career that would he ever foul out because he's so polite and Canadian. Uh, that would he ever foul five times in a game? That would be five souris in one game, which would be a lot. So he's come a long way in that regard. But he, he's also, I, I think it's a combination of a couple things. And and Grant, I'm interested to hear what you think because I I think watching that West Virginia game, I don't want to say the kid got screwed. But there was a, that was a physical basketball game, and somehow his touch fouls were more egregious than anyone else's, which sometimes it's just your night, and that was your night. I think at least three of those five calls were kind of soft uh, in that game. Uh, but then against South Carolina, maybe one or two little soft calls, but a couple of them were just plays that he probably shouldn't have made. And 
Uh, I know that he's kind of the fix-it guy on defense, and when someone gets beaten off the dribble, he's the guy who's got to go there and challenge the shot and affect things and, and kind of get it cleaned up. But, you know, you can't do that when you're not on the floor. And, and I wonder sometimes if he's got to pick his battles a little smarter, especially the way things are going right now. Yeah, he does. And it's just so weird that it happens two games in a row where he's barely on the floor, what, 10 minutes Tuesday night and I think 12 minutes against West Virginia, or maybe I have those backwards. Either way, he's played 22 minutes the last yeah. two games and fouled 10 times. Uh, and Rick called it a tough whistle against West Virginia, and you don't hear Rick uh, say that a ton. That so means it was a bad, bad whistle. I think that's what it means, and I think he wasn't completely uh, trying to blame Kyle for fouling out of that game. Uh, I mean, he, and he went to kind of a uh, he went through an explanation process for what Kyle's doing and uh, getting arms tied up and 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 trying to fight around for position and getting caught and kind of being the second guy that. Yeah. Uh, the second guy involved in the contact, somebody initiates it. You never want to be the second guy. Right, and he's getting caught with that. And it's, it's, if it happens a third time, then I think you got a problem. If it happens two times, it can still be just kind of uh, situational kind of struggles. If it happens three times, I think you start to get concerned because I think he had fouled four times, uh, had committed four fouls six times before West Virginia and had not fouled out and had played like 27.2 minutes per night going into that West Virginia game. And here he is, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, fouled out, fouled out. I guess if you want to look at you wonder. Yeah, if you want to look at it from a positive standpoint, hey, he's probably got fresh legs. That's right. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's funny because I said that going into the second half. I said, you know, Silva's ripping them apart with 22 points in the first half. A lot of that probably because Kyle Alexander was not on the court. And that stopped. And Grant had two fouls too. Yeah, stopping Silva so had. can't really. Yeah, let him get us what he's going to get. Yeah, stopping Silva. Any plan to do that kind of has to start in some way with Kyle being available to either uh, man him up one on one or to help on the weak side, whatever it is. But you know that had to be a big part of the plan. And I said, well, at least after the past three halves, Kyle Alexander ought to have fresh legs going into the second half against Silva. And sure enough, Silva had six points, um, but not because Kyle Alexander stopped fouling because he got a couple, uh, a couple more early whistles there in the second half and. You know, I think he just rolled his eyes after the third and fourth ones. In the yeah. second, in the, he was just like, it's just not my just not my week, man. But he, we'll see if he can bounce back. It just can't become a habit because everybody remembers Loyola Chicago. Yep. And how much he was missed, how much Rick Barnes talks about how much he was missed, how he anchors what they want to do defensively. Uh, in big moments, in big games, you can't be in foul trouble, you can't foul out that quickly. I mean, you got to have your guys ready to go. Yeah, I look at Kyle Alexander kind of like the those good those really good defenses in football when they don't give up a lot of big plays. It's almost always because they have really good tacklers in the secondary mm-hmm. who prevent 10 and 20 yard plays from getting bigger. And you look back and you go, "Man, how are they how are they able to prevent that team that team only had like 250 yards of offense. How did that happen?" Well, because the secondary didn't miss tackles. And when Kyle Alexander is in the game on the back line, if you actually go back and watch film and you know basketball, you will see how many times per game he cleans up someone else's mess. His help defense, I mean, he shows up in like the snap of a finger, and he those uh, gumby arms and legs he's got cover a lot of ground, and he's smart with the way he does it. And you'll see guys that that, that beat a Tennessee defender off the dribble, and they almost get their eyes big, like here comes the, here comes the dunk. And then Kyle just kind of slides over, and then they have to either dish it out or throw up a bad shot or try to go over the top of him, and mm-hmm. that doesn't work out. 
He just does – he gets his hands on passes. Like if you're trying to throw a big-to-big pass in the paint, Kyle Alexander is tremendous about affecting those passes and tipping them. Because, I mean, he's 6'11 with, what, a 7'3 or 7'4 wingspan, whatever it is, a 7'6. It's something stupid. And he gets his hands – because he's smart, he gets his hands on a lot of passes. And he affects so many things. And, and they can get by with playing – you know, Grant some at the five if they need to, or if they need to throw out, you know, Fulkerson and Walker out there, those guys can do some things. It's not like they're going down to a D2 or D3 player at that point. Mm-hmm. But they're at their best when Kyle is on the floor defensively, uh, except for late in games when they go with the small lineup usually for the free throw shooting uh, and the quickness. But it's just so important that, that he stop this becoming a trend. Like you said, I mean – one time, bad night. Two times, bad week. Three times, bad stretch. And that's what they have to avoid with that. So we'll see if he's able to do that. Uh, that's going to be huge for Tennessee. In better news, Grant, in better news, uh, Admiral Schofield, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, uh, hit a three-pointer for the first time since, I think, the War of 1812 uh, in that South Carolina game. And, boy, that was a big shot. And it showed you – that early in the game, Admiral was doing what Admiral does. He's always, you know, it's like people take heat checks during games. Admiral just goes ahead and starts games with heat checks just to see what kind of night it's going to be, I think. And he missed his first three shots, I believe, against Carolina. And then he just kind of, he did what the smart players do in those situations. He put the ball on the floor. He got better shots. He got to the rim. He made some things happen. And that opened up the rest of his game. And then he started hitting those mid-range jumpers, hit a, hit a three-pointer, he started to hit some big shots later, and you know Frank Martin said going into the game that he knew Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams is a great player, but Admiral Schofield was their problem matchup because they didn't have anyone. Like a lot of teams don't have a six foot six manimal on the wing who's quick enough and strong enough to handle a guy like Schofield. And Tennessee got him back, and Tennessee needed him back because with no Bowden out there, you know you just you need to all of a sudden, you know Bowden's not out there. Kyle's in foul trouble. A couple of the guys you rely on are out there. Your other guys got to step up. And sure enough, Schofield goes out there and puts up a game-high 24 points and hits some big shots. And I don't want to say he's back because it had been a a rough few weeks for him, but that was the first time he'd scored 20 points in a while. Yeah, and over the years, like, just random moments will stick out from players since I got this job, what, four years ago, since the first season for Rick Barnes. And when Admiral was a sophomore, he was really struggling. He was basically missing in action for, like, the first half of the season. Uh, and he went to Florida, and he had, like, a 17-10, and 10, and he was fine from there. He started to become the player that he is now. And after that game, I remember him saying, you know, I just forgot about offense, ignored it, took what was there in the, trans- or in the flow of the offense. If it came to me, it did. And just focused on defense and rebounding. And I think that's what he needed to do. Uh, these last couple games, when he started 0 for 4 against West Virginia, he was 6 for his last 30. That's an awful stretch. And if you go and look at his three-point numbers now, I don't know what they are, like 3 for his last 23 or something. That's an awful stretch. And it got to the point where he stood up after the film session of that WVU game and apologized to his teammates for uh, putting undue pressure on himself and kind of not being himself and not having the right body language and uh, doing stuff on the floor that just wasn't him. So... Maybe that gets back to, or maybe now with that in the in the past and, and what he did at South Carolina, he still didn't shoot a, a great percentage. Uh, 
or it didn't feel like he did. He maybe forced it a little bit early and played better in the second half. Nine to seventeen or something like that. That's I mean, pretty was, solid. That's pretty solid. I think that's what it was. And that three he hit, I think he's one for five from three. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But it just seemed like such a in rhythm kind of an admiral three. He sizes the opponent up. He he just raises up and shoots. He was it. like, "You're going to play that far off me?" Okay. It looked like a like a three that felt good. And and when it got to the end of the game, he was smiling on the court and doing stuff on, all, on the offensive end. And we asked him afterward, "Why why are you smiling right there? What's going on?" He said his teammates on the bench were calling out his moves uh, on the offensive end, like "You're going to drive right here. You're going to go baseline. You're going to pull up for a mid range, whatever." And he thought that was funny because you know they're up twenty at that point and, and rolling. So maybe it's kind of a little bit more at ease and he can be himself. Uh, after a bad stretch, but the, I mean, they're they're it's it's basketball. The clip he was shooting was not going to last the entire season. No, and and I think it's human nature because you know Schofield, like a lot of pretty much every other kid these days, uh, is on social media a lot when they're not playing the game, so they have more access. It used to be like a player would have to go out and grab dinner somewhere. Or, or something like that to you know go to the mall something like that for to get out there in the public and see what people were saying, and now it's just at the tip of a finger all the time, and these kids live on their screens, so right. so they see everything, they retweet, they like things, they search their name on Twitter after games, you know they all do or most of them do, and and I think it's pretty natural for a guy like Admiral. I think he got a little high on his own supply after after those games like that that stretch of Gonzaga and Memphis and where people are saying, hey, maybe Schofield's the SEC Player of the Year or national. Maybe he's the wooden candidate on this team, not Grant Williams. And and he, you know, he's been such rhythm that he wanted to carry his team. And I don't think it was, I I, I think it was, I don't think, know if it was selfish as much, but it was a little self centered because I think when you're as talented as him. I think that you have those tendencies, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, he thought, you know, we've said before, like a guy like Bowden doesn't shoot enough, and that's actually being selfish. Because if you – people think of not shooting the ball as being unselfish. Well, if you have a good shot and you don't shoot it, you're being selfish. And, and I think Admiral thought, you know what, I'm in rhythm. I need to be the one taking these shots. Right. And and I don't think it came from a bad place, but I think he started rushing things, and then he goes through a slump, and, you know, uh, I'd rather say um, woe than go. And – you know, Admiral's a guy who's going to get up his shots. He's going to get his numbers. And he wanted to shoot his way through it. And Rick Barnes, for the most part, gave him some some leash to do that. He and Lamonte Turner get a little bit longer leash than others do when they take bad shots. It's just kind of how it goes because those guys work harder than anybody else, and he trusts them. And I, I think even Rick reached a point where he said, Admiral, bro, you got to calm down right now. Mm-hmm. Because you've said it several times, Grant, you're right, that when Admiral gets going – he feeds off that emotion, and it carries him to a new level. But when he's struggling, he lives in that own head, and he gets himself in trouble. And that emotion works against him. Yes. And he wears it on the sleeve, good or bad. Yeah, and it means that he cares. So that, that comes from a good place. I, I mean, mean, you, you got to think, Admiral's a senior. Yep. He's the heart and soul of this team. He's him and Kyle and Lamonte. They've been here since literally ground floor of this thing that's been built up, and now it's the number one team in the country. Two straight weeks, he's the probably the second best player on the number one team in the country. Uh, he's not far behind Grant Williams in scoring, and he's that dude. You know, yeah. Like he, 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 even he, even if he's not the quote best player on this team, he's that dude, right? And he, Grant, is going to get his unless he just has a really bad night like Missouri, where he had like six points and just didn't play well. He's going to get his. He's going to roll in the gym and, and probably score eighteen or twenty just because of how talented he is. Yes, and the way he scores the basketball, taking high percentage shots. Admiral's a different guy. He's on the wing. He's got to hit a lot of threes. He's got to hit mid-range jumpers. If you're missing shots, if you're in a shooting slump, you're not going to score the points the way Admiral's average going into the stretch. Uh, so 
it's it's a lot of factors kind of balled into one, uh, and maybe I mean even against West Virginia, he had fourteen to ten something like that. It's great that you're rebounding. Yes. It's great that you're defending. If Grant would go rebound, there's no reason Grant should not be rebounding the way Admiral rebounds. There's right. just no reason for it at all. 100% agree. Uh, but Admiral still had 16 shots to score 14 points. So he's got to be more efficient, but if he can get back to being himself, he's fine. Yeah, and Grant's got a rebound. He had zero in the first half at uh, South Carolina. He had nine in the second half. And Rick said that's an ongoing conversation because we asked him basically how much he lit into Grant at halftime. But that's that's something he's he's too good of a player, too smart of a player, too athletic. Because Rick's not the kind of guy who goes, "I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed." Rick will go, "I'm mad, I'm mad, and I'm disappointed, and uh, I'm going to murder you if you do not start getting rebounds." And you could tell in the second half, uh, Grant ripped one away from Kyle, even underneath the bucket. Uh, he was like trying to tightrope on the sideline, trying to grab one. You know, after the game was already out of hand and Grant's sitting there tiptoeing down the sideline trying to stay in bounds and get a rebound, it's like he's thinking, I need to get at least eight or nine this half like I need to. And if he would just do that all the time, he would get 12, 14 rebounds a game. Look at what P.J. Washington does. Look at what P.J. Washington does and tell me that Grant Williams cannot do the same thing. It, it's – I don't believe it. I, I don't I, – I, I believe – you know, I mean, I think Rick's right. Grant shouldn't even be a 10-rebound a game. Not He should be a 12-rebound a game kind of guy. There's no reason, as as much burst as he has and as strong as he is and as good as his hands are, I think we take that for granted, just how soft his hands are and how he catches everything clean and, you know, the dexterity he has. There's no reason, as smart as he is, he's got every trait you need to be a great rebounder, and he should do that, but... We'll see if he does that. But quickly, before we move on to a couple final things, I'd be remiss if I did not mention the way Jordan Bone is playing. Uh, there are so many guys on this team that, you know, you could talk about all of them for a long time, and we try to do that. Um, but I, I, I think, and I, I thought this going into the season, and I, at least after the first three or four games of this season, and I started, people started looking at me like I was crazy. I don't think people are thinking that I'm crazy anymore. Jordan Bone's one of the best college point guards right now. He's one of the best point guards in the college game right now. He is absolutely controlling games from the point guard position. He is throwing passes that even a couple NBA point guards either can't or don't make very often. Uh, He is taking, for the most part, really good care of the basketball. He is hitting shots when he's open. He is taking control of his space on the floor. He is getting to the elbow and causing problems. He is blowing by you when you take a brief second I mean he, he is he is just it's so funny to hear to hear Frank Martin talk about it the way he did saying that he can remember a couple of years ago when Caroline just crushed Tennessee in that building mm-hmm. and that was the game where he was complaining about Robert Hubbs crushed saying, him in Knoxville too yeah and when he when he, when, he, when he just said that you know I'm not going to play uh, Robert Hubbs did not play coach's decision and and Frank Martin said that that and I'm I'm fascinated that, that Frank Martin's the leak on this because Rick Barnes said this very same thing. I know he said it to me. I'm pretty sure he probably said it to you at some point during late in that season. I know Rick in frustration at least once, maybe more times than that, said to me just off to the side, he said, I don't think I can win with these point guards. He said, Jordan Bone and Lamonte Turner, I need to go get point guards. So he tried. He went to go get James Daniel. I mean, he went to go get Darrington. And the reason he went and got those two guys was because he did not think he could win with Bone and Turner. And Frank Martin admitted that. It's so funny that we're the ones who never said that. Frank Martin's the one who ended up saying right. that Rick told him that. And 
you know, he just said, hey, that's, that's the credit to Rick. That's a credit to those kids for not running away from him when he was getting all over them because he was getting all over them. And look at where they are now. If you just if you buy into what a coach tells you and you can get through that point of no return, but you can get through it, then you can be a really good player because right now the kid, Jerry Meyer, who has forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know, right, said that he thinks Jordan Bone's going to be an NBA point guard for 10 years. The speed, I mean, everything he kind of can do kind of was on display in that South Carolina game. The way he can get to the elbow and he can hit that jumper, he can knock it down in rhythm. Uh, the way he can knock down the three in rhythm, the way he can change speeds to get to the rim uh, and finish at the rim or uh, dump it off to Grant. He had a really good dump in the post to Grant. Uh, he had that really good touchdown pass to Fulkerson where he Man, drops he the ball between the defender and the rim just and still that, gives Fulkerson yeah. time to finish. Like the, an 80-foot pass or whatever right. that was. That was a really, really hard uh, pass to make. I don't know if it was in, appreciated as quickly as it happened in the moment. But, I mean, everything he did in that game, shoot, shot at a high percentage, a lot of assists, he rebounded. Uh, just the way he can change his speeds. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll take Jerry Meyer's opinion over a lot of people ba- based on – how knowledgeable he is of the game, uh, being the son of Don Meyer. I mean, if he's a if he says he's an NBA product, uh, an NBA point guard for a long time, it's hard not to believe it. And yeah, you're right about the stuff Rick said. I mean, I've heard him say before in the past. You know, we're we're setting the table here, and if they don't want to sit down and eat, we'll go out and find somebody who will. And what they've got out of Jordan Bone now, uh, it's almost like all the dots have been connected. I think that might have been the way Rick said it. He's starting to connect the dots for their offense, but it feels like all the stuff that Rick talked about with Jordan Bone the last couple of years when it was hard to see it, it's shown up. And maybe, who knows, maybe if Barnes doesn't go out and get, um, you know, Daniel had a, had, a, had, a, had some moments for Tennessee. He had a couple of really nice games, and, you know, Darrington was kind of a disappointment, and now he's at Toledo back home. But I, I think if those two guys, they serve their purpose – by being the the kind of the spur in the saddle that Bone and Turner needed. Because Rick told those guys, listen, I think so little of the way you performed last year that I'm bringing in the leading scorer in JUCO basketball and I'm bringing in the leading scorer in NCAA Division I basketball. I'm bringing both those guys in here right now and I'm telling you that that means you, I can't win with you the way you're playing right now. And those guys, I mean, we've talked about before, Bone used to walk off the practice court crying, saying, what can I do to please this man? I can't do anything to please this man. Now, Turner is more of a pit bull by nature, and he would be more confrontational about it and be like, I'll show you, you old buzzard. Like, that's kind of how, you know, Lamonte is. But both those guys, man, Lamonte's shoulder looks fine, and he's hitting some big shots again. He's playing within himself. He's doing a... You know, only taking maybe one heat check per game as opposed to three or four. You know, he he's making big shots. And again, in that game, when they needed a couple big threes, who was right there? Boom, Lamonte. He is the guy on the road when a team is going and the crowd gets going. Lamonte kind of gets a spidey sense about him, and he hits a three to shut him up. He likes to he likes to be the silencer. And he's yeah. a guy that nobody's really even talking about right now. And that's a sign of how deep this team is and, and how – well, they're performing offensively that, I mean, he's a guy in the past that if Lamonte wasn't helping you, uh, you're probably hurting. And now he can do his thing and be himself and almost get overlooked because uh, what Grant Williams does, what Admiral does, can do. Uh, what uh, Bowden, when he's in there, what he's doing, I mean, just go down the list. They got options. They got different ways they can beat you. One thing I'll say about Lamonte before we move on and talk about two final things is 
I think this is getting lost in the shuffle with Lamonte, is that if you go back and watch film of his freshman year now, it's hard to kind of make yourself a better athlete. Normally, kind of whatever God gives you, you kind of get the most out of it, and that's what you have. Um, but Lamonte Turner has made himself an infinitely better athlete right. in the past two or three years. He is getting down the court in transition much blindingly faster than he ever did before. He is uh, reverse, you know, going up and under for reverse layups around Chris Silva, of all people. One of the best, you know, with, with Kuyate out, maybe the best shot blocker in the college game. Getting knocked down while he did it. Too. Yeah, just, I mean. And, and, and that he, whole play was where Tennessee's offense has come, from, uh, come to. I mean, uh, a really good cut by, by Lamonte to open himself up and get past the defender. A really good threaded bounce pass by Admiral from the top of the key. Uh, hits him where he needs to hit him. And then Lamonte goes up and under, absorbs the contact, makes it, and, and it's just like that's just a normal play. It's and that 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 play right there made me think of all those times in practice where Rick Barnes would stop and blow the whistle because in the middle of the play, a guy threw a chest pass instead of a bounce pass, and Rick stopped the play, made him run it again because that was not a bounce pass; it needed to be a bounce pass, and because you see right there the method to the madness because that play needed to be a bounce pass to get where it needed to go. And that's what makes – that's how you win 600-plus games as a coach. But I just I, – I think that Lamonte's even trying to, like, yak on people now. I mean, he, he's – Lamonte's only settling for layups when he knows he can't dunk on somebody. And this was a guy who, you know, did not even really dunk in a game much ever until this year. I mean, he, he has – Garrett Maidenwald has I, – I, I don't want to say I don't know what he's making because we can look it up pretty quickly. He's a public employee. But uh, that guy's earned a raise, big raise. Right. Uh, he is – he has been as as important to this development as anybody because he has made this team just a team of monsters. And, and the one thing I, I'll say before we talk about Texas A&M briefly and get out of here is I do think some some credit is due to Derek Walker and especially to Jalen Johnson. Uh, Derek Walker for a second year in a row played well at South Carolina. Maybe that's just his <laughs> that, that you know in in English soccer when a team beats you all the time that one team they call you the bogey team. Maybe, uh, maybe the he, he Derek the Walker is, is the bogey man for South Carolina. Be the first player that's happy with the situation to just transfer to another school because hey, I like this yeah, gym. Man, I always I always dominate in here. Um, but and I think Jalen Johnson too had a great quote from Grant Williams, who I by the way had a one on one with talking to Grant about some NBA stuff. If you want to go to the website, there's a good teaser for that. Uh, Grant Williams talking about potentially having a decision to make regarding the NBA after the year. You can go to GoVols247.com and read that. But from that same conversation with Grant, he praised Jalen Johnson, saying that a lot of guys in his situation, as talented as he is offensively and as much athleticism as he has, as much ability as he has, he's one of the more talented offensive players on that team. I, I, right. I'll go to my grave saying that. He is. And uh, he goes out there, and Grant said for him, for this is his third year here. He's never played as much as he feels like he should, but he never gets pissy. He never comes into the gym with a bad attitude. He comes in there every day to work, and Grant even praised his mom for it, said she did an unbelievable job raising him because look at the man that he's become. Uh, and maybe, and who knows, maybe after the year he does decide to transfer. I don't know. That's what kids do these days. But I think with Admiral leaving, maybe that opens some things up for Jalen to play more next year. Because he's just kind of been that he was the biggest victim of Admiral going from the four to the three. That kind of took Jalen Johnson's potential right. minutes. It just did. Let's call it what it is. Um, but he's a guy who took his red shirt and he tried to get bigger and stronger. He's a guy who, whenever he's been ready to be called upon, he's tried to go out there and play. There are times where he just dominates in practice and looks great. Uh, if he sticks to it, 
he could be yet another example of what they're doing with the Tennessee program in building players and having guys ready and being a program because that's a program guy. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy who, you know, could maybe even make some money playing this game at some point in his life. I think he has that kind of upside if he'll play defense. He has to play defense. But he goes out there against South Carolina, gives him some good minutes, hits a big shot in the first half. And I, I, just, I, I think that's a sign of where they are. I think Grant Williams said it really well when he said, guys like Jalen not being able to play but having a good attitude, he said they tell you two things. One, they tell you what kind of program and what kind of team we have right now. And two, more importantly, they tell you what kind of person Jalen Johnson is. Because there's a lot of guys on this team, and, and Frank Martin said it too. He said Tennessee is obsessed with making the right play. They obsessively make the right play on both ends of the floor, and they genuinely love playing together. And that's what makes this team so special. I don't pretend to know how this ends. They could go out like Virginia did last year. They could right. be a they could be a one seed who gets a UMBC in the first round, and then the forever the legacy is going to be. Oh, look at that team! It choked against Loyola and it choked in the tournament. I, I I don't know, I don't know, but I know what's happening here right now is special. And I've been around here long enough, and I've seen college basketball long enough. I've seen SEC sports long enough, college sports long enough to know that this is special. What is happening here right now? And guys like Dylan Johnson, I think, are part of the reason for that. And he's, uh, I mean, his minutes have basically fallen off the map since Lamonte came back, which has been, what, seven games ago now. Yep. Uh, and he's, when we go over there before practice or something, he's the guy that's in there working, Jalen Johnson, getting yep. up shots and, and trying to uh, trying to get better. And, and he has an opportunity. He could take Eve's minutes right now. Eve's struggling right now. Eve doesn't have very much confidence on either end of yeah, the floor. Yeah, Eve looks like he's in a, like he has a brain fart every time he gets the ball yeah. because he gets that whole paralysis by analysis thing. It's, uh, it's, it's tough what he's going through right now. So there, there are minutes there. And, and you never know what with Jordan Bowden going on. If he's back Saturday and everything's fine, that's one thing. If he's not, there's even more minutes there for Jalen uh, to take advantage of. But they have – they're they're headed still headed the right direction. It seems like everybody's happy and and people like to ask if if trans, transfers are on the way. You never know. You never know until it happens. Uh, the the number grows exponentially in college basketball every single year, and you never know until the it happens. Portal, portal. You never portal, know until the portal, portal. talk heats up in uh, what's it going to be April, I guess, uh, after the Final Four, or after these teams are eliminated, whatever. So we'll see. But yeah, J- Jalen seems to have the right mindset, the right uh, approach to what can't be it easy time when he's having to watch a lot of people do a lot of stuff. Now, quickly, Grant, before we get out of here, this will be our final topic because we have got to get to practice to talk to Rick Barnes. Is um, Let's talk a little bit about A&M. Uh, this is a team that, um, you know, under Billy Kennedy, they've had their moments. They've been a solid team at times. They've been a tournament team. They've recruited well. They've had some NBA players. They, they've, they, you know, for a football mad school um, with a baseball, great baseball program too, they, they've, they've done some good things in basketball. Uh, but this is – a miserable, miserable year for Texas A&M. That team's sitting there uh, only not at the bottom in the SEC because Vanderbilt is occupying that space right now. But uh, A&M is 8-11 overall, 1-6 in SEC play. Um, just tough, opened the season with a win over Savannah State, then lost to UC Irvine at home. That's a rough one. Uh, lost at Gonzaga by 23 points. Uh, lost to Minnesota. Texas Southern, I think, yeah. is somewhere down there. Lost to Washington. Uh, just lost to Texas Southern by 15 at home, uh, but has played okay at times, okay at times in league play. Lost only by two at home to Arkansas, which, again, Arkansas doesn't win away from home much, but still only lost by two that game. Uh, impressively, lost by nine, or I'm sorry, 11 at Kentucky, played okay in that game. Got out to a 10-0 start in that game. 
yeah, did some good things. Uh, came back. Obviously, the one SEC win was a buzzer beater at Tuscaloosa to beat Alabama. Uh, and then it, it's kind of been the struggles for a while. Lost by uh, lost by 19 uh, at home to Auburn. Uh, lost by 17, I believe. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, 17 to Missouri at home. Lost uh, at Florida by only nine. Not so bad. Lost Kansas State by 12. And then lost at home to 19th ranked LSU on Wednesday. 72 to 57 this team is not very good uh, but if you're in the college station area guys saturday night mother-son date night which i'm going to give you credit if you're an sec team and you're going to call something mother-son date night that's just funny that's just funny right there kind of weird yeah it's mother-son date night so um but then you know do they do the thing where like if you like i know in touchdowns you have to like kiss your date you know they do that in football i hope they disband that tradition for basketball especially on mother son date night you know hey i'm just saying makes like, me think of one of those billy madison movies towards the end after the 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 really nice moment at the end somebody goes i'm gonna call my dad <laughs> i think it's when the homeless guy's in the court in the courthouse after after the he makes up with his father and this tells you what you need to know right now tickets range from ten dollars to twenty two dollars uh name one ticket you can get for ten bucks in thompson bowling right now uh that that's, you can probably park outside for ten dollars yeah that's uh that is what it is right now not much of a uh they're gonna be in the market for a head coach let's call it what it is yeah and billy's billy's done some good some decent things there though maybe would they would they go would they go bring uh, andy kennedy back into the league i don't know i don't know last year they went to the sweet 16 didn't they because they actually started playing like the team everyone thought they should be all year yeah. and then they got absolutely hammered by michigan in the sweet 16 i've always claimed still. that still i still claim that if rob lanier ever leaves the nest and takes a head coaching job somewhere i think that uh andy kennedy will will, will get a, a call from rick barnes i believe that i think he's got a lot of respect for him just just a thought. I don't know, but um, if he would want to do that. But he's done a really nice job on SEC Network, Yeah, he's by the good way. on TV. He's Andy Kennedy's done a really nice job on television. Guys, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. We will have a football podcast for you. I guess we'll drop that on Friday morning as per usual. We'll find some stuff to discuss there. Uh, but as always, thanks for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker. You can find me on Twitter at Wes Rucker 24-7. You can find Grant Ramey on Twitter at Grant Ramey. You can find Patrick Brown on Twitter at P Brown 24-7. You can find Ryan Callahan on Twitter at Ryan Callahan 24-7. And you can find all of us on Twitter at twitter.com slash govals247. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash govals247. And we promise no Russian interference in our Facebook posts. We will not influence any of your SEC elections with Russians. We will not be doing that. We promise you. We assure you that. We've got safeguards in place. So good good luck, Putin. You can try. And fancy bears, you're never going to get us. Uh, we're also, if you want to go drink the water straight from the hose, you want to get the news straight from the source, you can go to govals247.com. We are always there. Uh, we, we're going to have a great, here's a teaser, starting tomorrow, really good sunny day promo. That for football signing day that we're going to have set up for a few days there. So uh, stick around till Friday morning. It's going to be awesome. For those of you who have not tried the site, you've been on the fence, this is going to be a really good time to go do that. We're always there on the checkerboard. It's like this podcast, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and in written form. Thanks for listening, guys. Grant, do you have any final thoughts? It's supposed to be like 67 degrees on Tuesday.